right. Hey, if you guys don't mind, stay standing if you're able for the reading of Scripture. You guys have your books. We're going to be picking it up in uh, 28, page 28, and then we'll go to page 38. So let's read together. Chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me to the depths into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and your breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Father, we hold in our hands the living active word, and Lord, I know that you use this to speak into the depths of our heart and our mind. Lord, I pray this day that you would be our guest of honor to guide us, to lead us to your truth for faith, for hope, for love, for encouragement. For Lord, you are the God that is in the midst of all things, even to the depths of the pit. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And Saint said, what? All right, let's all grab a seat. So good to be with you guys this morning to bring the word, Um, whether, whether you're new or uh, you've been here for many years, welcome. Some of you guys might be just wondering about this whole Jesus God thing, and I pray that today would be a day of clarity for you. For those of you guys who have journeyed in the, in, with, the, with the Lord for many years, I hope this also would be of great encouragement to you. Um, we see Jonah, and we've been talking about this idea of renewal. And I have a definition of renewal, as we've been talking about renewal the last couple weeks, and that is to be changing into something new, something different, something better. I don't know how many of you guys have ever gone under the great task of improving your home, you know, doing some good home improvement. You know what that's like. I see the Gilmores over here, man, they're... Ooh, their house. It takes a lot of breaking down. It takes a lot of demolition. And then it takes a lot of reconstruction in order to renovate that home, in order to make that kitchen new or make that bathroom new or to put that addition on the home. In order to build something up, you have to break something down, right? Even if it's a new foundation, you have to break down that foundation, break up that ground so that you can level it and make it ready to build something new upon it. And often that's an illustration or an analogy for our own lives because we are going through the process of renewal. 
Now, I'm going to call up another chart. This chart was something that Ryan shared with us last week, and it was about the renewal of the entirety of the book of Jonah, where we see Jonah experiencing personal and spiritual renewal, which is what we'll be focusing on a lot today. We, we saw last week the sailors, their communal and relational renewal. They saw the goodness of God. They saw the severity of God in the way of a storm. They saw the severity of God. They saw the wind. They saw the waves. I mean, it was crazy. And then they throw Jonah off the boat because Jonah comes up with that great idea. They throw him off the boat, and then all of a sudden, the sea goes calm. And they experience this calmness right after this storm. And it moved them to give praise and honor and adoration to God. So we see their renewal process beginning. And then what we're going to be seeing here in the next couple of weeks is the renewal of Nineveh, that social and cultural renewal. But let's just park on this Jonah renewal. As we go to the next slide, we'll see that there is a renewal process. Now, I titled today, today's sermon, God, Guts, and Glory. God, Guts, and Glory. You'll see it by the end of the study. But what we see here is this is the renewal process for us as believers. Rebirth, refinement, redemption, when all things are complete. For you Bible scholars, it's those big words down there. Justification, sanctification, glorification. It's the process of renewal. God who began the good work in us will be faithful to complete the work. You know, as the crucible is for silver, as the furnace is for gold, so the Lord tests our hearts. That's what it says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. But this is that process. First, it begins with that rebirth. For those of you guys who are familiar with the story of Jesus, you'll remember that Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus, who was one of the high-level Pharisees. And Jesus said plainly to him, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again. Nicodemus had a really hard time understanding what that even meant. And he was like, what does that mean I crawl back into my mind? Like, what does that even mean? But Jesus was speaking of a spiritual birth. Now, I have a question for you. What did you do to be born in the first place? What did you contribute to your own birth? Anybody here contribute to their own birth? Yeah. No. I, there, there's no that was God's gift of life to you through your parents. So what makes us think that somehow we can rebirth ourselves with our contribute, contributing into it? We can't. It's by grace through faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins the renewal process. He sustains the renewal process, renewal process, and he finishes it. That is the good news. That is the gospel. But it does take some process. It does take that refinement. And as we look at the study today, we're going to see Jonah literally in the gut in the gut, in the belly of a fish. And we're going to actually look at his prayer and we're going to see this process, God, guts, and glory. But then there's that redemption. There's that salvation. There's when all things are done, when all things are complete. I will probably go back to this verse a couple times through the course of this study. He, that is God, who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete that. And some of you guys in here might be dealing with a difficult time, a difficult trial, a difficult season. Some of you guys online might be watching this because you're, bound, you're stuck in a bed. I hope that this day is a day of encouragement for you and hope because uh, no guts, no glory. 
And that's kind of the process. And so let's look at verse 17 of chapter 1. Kicking it off with this first point, God brings renewal. It says in verse 17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now, do, do fish actually swallow people? Do, does that actually happen? Now I have a couple slides here. The first one is uh, maybe you, you've, you saw it on, uh, on social media about the kayakers that were there and the whale came up and kind of like almost swallowed them whole. But I found this other story, look at the next slide, of this, this diver that was swallowed for 30 seconds in a whale before he was regurgitated out, right? Isn't that crazy? So a lot of us are like, could this happen? Is this believable? Did this happen? Well, Jesus basically confirms that it did happen. So we're not looking at this as a fairy tale. This is history that we're looking at. So it says in verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now that word provided is a loaded term. It means to weigh out with reason, to prepare, to appoint, or to ordain. ordain. What this is saying is that God is intentional. This wasn't just some accident. This wasn't just coincidence, you know. But think about that. This fish, who knows how old this fish was? Or this whale, or Meg, you know? Was it Megalodon? I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was, I mean, if you look at, if you look at your, your book, you'll see that there's the Hebrew and there's the Greek that kind of give a little bit of insight. It can be translated whale. It can be translated big fish. It can be de- translated like sea creature or sea monster. So it was something, but God prepared it. God ordained it. God purposed it. It wasn't an accident. This fish that was birthed, let's just say decades earlier, was came into the world, grew and grew and grew, months, years, decades, whatever, and then it happened to be at this spot at the right time when Jonah's thrown off the boat, right? No, God is in the works. God is in the details. There's not anything that happens in our lives that he doesn't know about, that he didn't foresee, and that he can't use for a greater purpose. Our God is sovereign. He's in control. That's what that word sovereign is. It means God is in control. So here's here's Jonah, and he has this fish that's provided for him. And we see that this renewal starts with God, continues with God, and ends with God. I like this quote from uh, Andrew Murray that says, As truly as God by his power once created, so truly by that same power must God at every moment maintain God is in the details. God is in the works. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're enduring. I don't know what hardships you're facing, but God does. He knows, he's there, and he's with you. So here's the second part, the gut, okay? Look at uh, verse 17. So Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So this word belly has two translations to it. The first is the literal. He's in the bowels. He's in the gut. But in the figurative, he's in a place of emotional distress. So this is a, and I I mean, just imagine it for a moment. You know, God's given us this imagination. Can you imagine what that was like for Jonah? I mean, if you, if you watched Jaws, you know, and you heard that music, right? Here's Jonah. He's in the midst of the sea. It goes calm. The sailors are like flipping out like, what just happened? 
and they're like giving praises to the Lord. And here's Jonah. And then I don't know, was there a wake? I saw this video on YouTube and it was like a shark that was underwater and the sea was calm. And you just, you didn't even see the shark. You just saw this wake like cruising up towards the boat. I was like, was there a wake? Did it circle him? You know, was, I mean, that would be so terrifying. I mean, how many of you guys are afraid of sharks? Anybody here just say, okay, good. Yeah, I don't like to think about sharks when I'm out in the water, right? I, I, this is a story I didn't share earlier, but I, I was surfing with my son at San Onofre years ago, and I kid you not, I was paddling over, and I saw something big, dark, and just underneath going like this. And I was like, ah. And I didn't want to freak out my son, so I'm like, uh, Brayden, take the next wave in. It's time to go in. You know, I never told him. I didn't want him to freak out, but you feel really small when you start seeing, or even if a dolphin just jumps out of nowhere, like, ah, right? So here's Jonah. He's in the sea, and this, this fish swallows him and takes him down into the depths. There's this good quote I like from Timothy Keller, which says, there are some things that can only be learned in the depths of life. Jonah is this prodigal prophet. That's what Tim Keller calls him. And I agree. He's, he's given a mission. He's given a goal. He's given a message. And he's to go to Nineveh, but he doesn't. He goes to Tarshish. He goes the other way. And so the Lord is like, uh, we got some refining to do. We got some work to do in this prophet. And so God prepares this fish. It swallows him down. And it says that he was in the fish for three days and three nights in verse 17. And now we cross over in chapter two, verse one. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. In the ESV, it says, then after three days, you know, in the belly of the fish, then Jonah prays. And I'm like, man, what took him so long? I mean, how do you think that like? I mean, if I saw the, the wake of a fin or tail or, I don't know, whatever it was, if I saw that thing circling, I'd be like, Lord, please save me, you know? But it says after three days he prays. Now, I don't know why. This is where conjecture comes in, right? This is where we get to use our imaginations. And it doesn't necessarily say why, but there, there could be a plenty of reasons, a plethora of reasons. Do you know what a plethora is? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm three amigos geek. Um, love that movie. So here's, here's Jonah. Is he, is he prodigal, stubborn, rebellious? You guys remember the, the parable of the prodigal sons? Notice it's plural. The first son just went, took the inheritance and wasted it away. The other prodigal was self-righteous, you know? When the father brought back the younger brother, he was self-righteous. Like, why haven't you thrown me a party? I've always done the right thing, right? So was, was Jonah self-righteous? Was, was Jonah thinking like those Ninevites, they don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve grace. Those people are brutal. When I was in the, uh, the museum, uh, British Museum, and, and years ago, they had in the museum the walls of Nineveh that had been uncovered. They had some of the walls. And so I was like all looking at them and stuff. And what I noticed is that they prided themselves in violence, complete violence. I mean, there's etched in the stone, horses crushing people, spears through people, heads cut off. Like it was brutal. That's what the Ninevites prided themselves in, in their brutality. And we'll talk about that a little more, more I'm sure. 
maybe Jonah was just freaked out. Like, I don't want to go there. I mean, can you imagine being sent to a place like that where they skin people alive, where they make their skin into furniture and wallets and stuff? Like, that's how bad it was. Or was he ashamed? I blew it. God could never use me. I've blown it so bad. Like what kept him from prayer? I don't know. But sometimes we have a variety of those emotions. We feel ashamed. We feel like we've blown it. We feel like we've gone so far. There's no way God could ever use me again. No. God can use anything, anyone. No matter how far you've wandered, no matter how far you've sunk, no matter how far you've gone, all you have to do is turn back around and Jesus is right there. As you repent, turn towards it. He's right there, ready to listen because he loves you. So here's Jonah, and it says in verse 1, from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed. I want to note here, it's not the gut that transformed Jonah. It's that he prayed from the gut. Does that make sense? I like this quote from Ryan he taught last week. He said, the door for renewal is open through repentance. I like this quote that I'm going to put up here on the screen. It says, the purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours, but rather to align our will to his. Maybe it wasn't up there. Think about prayer like you're in a boat, tethered to a rock, and as you pray, you're pulling that rock closer to you, right? Are you pulling the rock closer? Technically, but really what you're doing is you're pulling yourself closer to the rock. Does that make sense? You see, life gets crazy, storms come, etc. We're like in that boat, and prayer is the means to draw ourselves closer to God. In or, not, not to bend him to do our will, but that we might align our will to his will. So God is using this situation, this circumstance, to bring Jonah to that place of prayer. And that's where we're going to start, right back at the top. God, guts, and glory. God brings renewal. Look at verse 2. We're in chapter 2 now. It says, Jonah says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. So that word distress means adversity, affliction, anguish, distress, tribulation, and trouble. But what I really like is this word answered. It means to respond, give account, or to see eye to eye. So what Jonah's saying is like, when I prayed to you, you answered, you, were, you saw me eye to eye. Now that's a, that's a pretty loaded statement. When you think of the entirety of the gospel, the, the Bible says that when Christ was crucified, he was crucified from the foundation of the world. So like his experience of the cross and the resurrection, it like spans eternity. I don't fully understand that all, okay? Because I'm a limited creature, limited to space, time, and matter, and it's hard for me to fully understand that because I see things as linear. But God is outside time, space, and matter. Like, and so what his experience of the cross was, like encompasses and is good for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have faith in the Lord, those who have faith in God. The great patriarchs, Abraham, was justified by faith, right? Abraham was, was declared good with God by faith. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Now, now, the gospel message is that God became flesh, 
God became human. God not only became human, but he endured the cross. He endured the betrayal. He endured the shame. He was wrongly accused. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was put on a cross. Completely betrayed. Died lonely. Put in a tomb. Resurrected from the dead. He knows human experience and he knows it even, he knows the worst of it. Completely worse than anything we ourselves have endured or faced. So God is able to meet us eye to eye. It says in the book of Hebrews, like, he was tempted in every which way we're tempted, yet without sin. And he's able to aid us in our temptations. So God sees us eye to eye. And Jonah is discovering this, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, to declare, hey, look, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me. He saw me where I was. He came eye to eye with me. Verse 2. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. He says, from, my, from the deep, you're there. It reminds me of Psalm 139, where David pens this. Verse 7 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold fast to me. David learned this by going to the wilderness, by going through hardship. Moses went to the wilderness. Joseph went into a prison in a pit. Daniel went into the pit with lions. Jesus was stuck to a cross. Jesus was put in the gut of the earth. There's a process that God is using these things in order to mold us and to shape us into the image of the Lord. So Jonah's concluding the omnipresence of God, his sovereignty, his everywhere presence. And then when you look at verse 3, he says, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. You see how Jonah right here is declaring the authority of God, that the earth is the Lord's. Everything in it is the Lord's. Now, some of you surfers out there know what it is when you're like, that's my wave. I don't know. When I was in high school, it was more of a thing. My wave, my wave, we tried calling out. No, they're not your waves. They're his waves, right? So next time you're in the water, just be like, Lord, that's yours. Can I have it? You know, <laughs> please give me some power and I'll get back to the point. But Jonah's sitting here going like, your waves, your, everything of yours has swirled over my head. But what I want you to look at is his, his, his communication of his hardship. Look in verse three. He's like, you hurled me into the depths. He's like, I feel cast out. I feel like forsaken, literally. I feel forsaken. And maybe you felt that. And your hardships and your difficulties and your trials, you felt forsaken. You felt like, God, where are you? I can't see you. I can't, I can't sense your presence. You know, for, for, for my family, I'll share a quick story and I'll probably revisit it afterward. But, you know, God put me through a wilderness of 40 months to the day. Just a really long period of being in the wilderness. But at the time, I didn't know it was going to be 40 months. I felt like it was forever. We had been pastoring at a church for uh, uh, almost 20 years. I'd been serving that ministry for, for like 23. And then the Lord pushed us out into the unknown. And it, I didn't see it coming. And I felt like, what am I going to do? I have to provide for my family. I have to find something. To, and then what? COVID strikes. So here I am. I'm like trying to figure out what am I supposed to do, Lord? Where am I supposed to go? I, I don't know what to, I felt 
like I had been cast out. I had felt like I felt like I'd, I really wrestled with the Lord. And, and through the process of time, you know, I was able to land a, a job working uh, down at a technology company down a certain valley where I was working on apps and user, inter- user interface and all that stuff. But I was like in this cubicle. And it was like in that time, like my, my patheticness just came out of me. Like, oh, I feel stuck, Lord. You know, I'm on the five freeways stuck, bumper to bumper to bumper. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? It's like I was literally felt stuck like on the freeway and then spiritually just like, Lord, what's going on? What are you doing? I had no clue, but God was moving me to where he wanted me to be, but I couldn't see it at the time. It was hard. It was difficult. Some of you guys might be in that place right now. You're like, maybe closed door on a business deal. Maybe closed door at work. Maybe you can't even find a job right now. Maybe you just got a diagnosis with your health. I don't know, but God knows. And it's like, God, where are you? Sometimes in life, we go through these seasons of stuck, but you're not forsaken. And I want to just say that specifically. You are not forsaken. You are not forgotten. God is still so mindful of you. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. He knows exactly what you're thinking. You can go and belt it out. You can go and complain to the Lord. He's merciful. He is God. He is holy. He is righteous. We're to esteem him the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But what happens when we're complaining? God in his mercy still will attribute those or count those as prayers. Have you guys ever read the book of Job? That book is full of complaints. Like it's a whole book of complaints and bad advice. If you've ever read it, you're like, what am I to do with this? It's like these guys sound really good. They sound really smart, but they're wrong, you know? And Jonah is justifying himself and laying out his complaints and saying things like, whoa, buddy, don't you know who God is? And yet at the end of Job, the Lord says, Job hasn't sinned. He's spoken what is right. How? Because when we vent, whatever we're venting, God in his mercy accounts it as prayer. If you're complaining to other people, that's gossip. When you're complaining to God, that's prayer. And so Jonah is like pointing his emotion, pointing his distress. I mean, he's just like venting it to the Lord. And God's inviting us to just pray, just to seek him, just to grab on that rope and and pull closer to him. You're not forsaken. I like this verse from Tim Keller. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. So what's the conclusion of Jonah here? Well, I believe he's, he's declaring the sovereignty of the Lord. And that big word sovereignty means control. God is in control, all powerful in control. So no matter what you're facing in life right now, God is there. He is with you. So now let's look at the gut. The renewal is a process. Look in verse four. He says, I've been banished from your sight, yet, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now that temple can have two meanings. During Jonah's day, there was a literal temple in Jerusalem, and it's the place where there was a bronze altar, where the sacrifices were made for sin, where the priests would take of the blood, go into the most holy of holies and sprinkle the blood, and that was for atonement or for forgiveness. But it was only temporal because the blood of bulls and goats can't fully cover and cleanse us. Only the sacrifice of 
the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. But these things were a shadow of what was to come. So Jonah's thinking about the mercy seat. He's thinking about the place where forgiveness, you know, where, where restoration is made. But also it has that heavenly tone because everything about the earthly tabernacle or the earthly temple, all that was was instructed to Moses as a way to be designed so that people could see kind of a taste of what's in heaven. So Jonah is getting this renewed perspective, even in the midst of the gut, even in the midst of the pit. Even though it says in verse five, engulfing waters threaten me, the deep surrounds me, seaweed is wrapped around my head, the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth has barred me in forever. Even though Jonah's stuck, even though Jonah's engulfed, surrounded, wrapped, sank, barred, he's in this tight place. Even though he's there, his prayers are going forth. And I have a question to you is, have you ever felt moments of being stuck? Maybe right now you're in a place where you just feel stuck, cast out, betrayed, forsaken. Well, God showed me through my season of stuck was that that was a process for what God was accomplishing. Verse 5 says, But you, Lord my God, brought my life from the pit. I love that, but The Lord brought his life from the pit. What if you're stuck is God's way of bringing breakthrough to your life? What if your stuckness is a way of breakthrough for your marriage, breakthrough for your kids, breakthrough for your you know, provision, miracle provision. Now, I'm not getting prosperity on you, right? I'm not saying like, just believe for that mansion, right? I'm not saying that. But God is working all things together for good. Notice all things together for good for those who love him. Doesn't mean that there's a silver lining in every difficulty because some difficulties are so horrific and hard. It's hard to imagine like what good is there in that? And you're right. But collectively, God is using everything for good. Why? Because he's using it to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. I used to ask as a youth pastor for a long time, I would ask students in the youth group, would your school benefit if Jesus attended it? Right? I mean, think about that. How many of your guys' businesses would really benefit if Jesus was working there? How many of your neighborhoods would really benefit if Jesus lived there? How many of your schools how look god has put us there as his instruments god has put us there as his hands and his feet we are all for that purpose of bringing his goodness and his love to the world to bring his renewal to the world that is why we're here on this earth to be a blessing to the nations what did god say to abraham in you your seed all the nations will be blessed so that's part of the process. That's part of that's what we're a part of. We get to participate in that process. And so how does that happen? It happens through through prayer and just remembering that these hardships are for a greater purpose. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis that says, Hardships often prepare ordinary people from an extraordinary destiny. So let's get to this final point: glory. The process that brings redemption. Look with me in verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. 
It was Corey Ten Boom who said, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. Job is remembering and becoming mindful and thinking well. That word right there, I remembered you in the Hebrew, it means to think well of. So Jonah's in this moment and in the midst of this hardship, he's thinking well of God. And I want to tell you guys that praise is a powerful weapon in participation of your renewal process. I've shared a story uh, a few months back about my mother having passed. The night that she passed, um, I was so affected that I couldn't even speak. But my dad took me by the hands, literally took me by the hands into his office. Now, mind you, my, my mom had just passed just hours previous. My dad sits with me in his office and he holds my hands and he starts praying. And he starts praying like, God, you're so good. God, we, we love you. We trust you. And God, we need you. We need you, Lord. And here he is just like, it's like holding hands with Job. And he's just this man that's broken, but he's like, God, you're so good. God, we trust you. God, we need you. And it was like, literally like holding hands with Job. Here's the beautiful part of it. It's probably about a year ago. So a few years have now passed, you know, almost six, almost seven years now have passed. So he's remarried, met a wonderful Jesus-loving woman. Uh, they're crazy, and that's a good thing, I'm gonna, <laughs> in a good way. My dad, I, I hung out with him uh, yesterday uh, for the last time until uh, March, because he and his wife are going to get on some bikes Actually, they're going to fly down to Santiago, Chile, and they're going to get on bikes, and they're going to bike all the way down to the southern tip of South America. Now, you guys understand crazy. Like, <laughs> that's crazy, right? And he's, he's going to go do this great adventure. They're going to be staying at places. They're going to be camping out, like, on the Patagonia Mountains. Like, it's mind-blowing, okay? I'm like, dang, Dad, you're crazy, Right? but it's so good. And like a year ago, I was at their house and I was sitting there and I was watching like obviously my nephews and nieces, but I was looking at, at his wife's nephews and nieces. And these kids are like two years old, three years old, four years old. And they're all, when they see my dad, they're like, Papa, Papa. And they're jumping on his lap and, you know, and I was like, God, you literally doubled his grandchildren. And they love him. And he's all they know as Papa. And it was, it struck me. It was like, wow, God, you are a God of redemption. You are a God of renewal. You are a God who takes something that's so just messy and dirty and you can make something so beautiful from it. That's renewal. That's what God does and only God can do. But prayer and praise in the midst of the storm, that's where we participate in that renewal process. Going back to my 40-month little wilderness, I remember that song, King of My Heart. You know when it gets to that part, it's like, you're never going to let me down, you're never going to let me down, you're never going to let me down. I remember just hearing that song and like forcing myself to sing it because I wasn't feeling it. I felt let down. I felt like, really? You're never going to let me down? I feel so let down. Like, I, I, again, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm humbled to even confess that. But God was working a process. And, and, and 
God's gracious. He's merciful. But now, like, it's, this, it's this, the, the script has now flipped, in, flipped, right? I'm flipped in. The script has flipped. And I, when I hear that song now, it's just different. It's like, oh, that is true. You're never going to let us down. He's never going to let us down. He's, he's there for us. He's with us. As we begin to close this thing out, those who cling to worthless idols, verse 8, turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say, verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. You see this shift in Jonah in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this gut. He's like, you know what? I'm going to praise you with shouts of praise. I'm going to worship you even though I'm still stuck in this pit. I'm still stuck in the gut. I'm going to still praise you. And as we begin to conclude the service, I want to invite us all to give God praise, to give God the, the honor and the exaltation that he is so worthy to receive. Even from the gut that we find ourselves in, this, this word here, salvation, its Hebrew translation is deliverance, aid, welfare, victory, healing. It is those things. But the Hebrew word is Yeshua. Translated in Hebrew, Joshua. Translated into Latin, Jesus. So literally, Jesus, his name, is right here in the midst of the gut. Jonah is literally crying out the name of Jesus his salvation. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I'm, when I revisited this this week, I was like, I'm blown away. And how did Jesus accomplish that? Well, Jesus said, as, as Jonah was three days in the belly of fish, three nights, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, in the gut of the earth. But the beauty of this entirety of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead in order to redeem us, and to save us. And so as we conclude this sermon, I want to call your attention now to verse 10. It says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah. So this fish has the urge to regurge. <laughs> and it puts Jonah exactly where he needed to be. Now think about that for a moment. Jonah felt like he was stuck. Jonah felt like he was dead. Jonah felt like he was done. Jonah felt like he was getting nowhere. He was literally like in the belly of a fish. Whatever stomach acids eating away his skin, eating off his hair, whatever like trying to breathe air, super confined, like he felt like he was getting nowhere. Some of you college students might feel like that. You're like a junior and you're like, oh my gosh, this is forever. But what if God's moving you and you don't realize it to exactly where you need to be? You know, when I was driving past Poinsettia every single day, I didn't have on my radar I would be here at North Coast Calvary Chapel. No idea. I was just in my gut of my car, complaining, trying to make myself pray and sing and do all that. But God was moving me exactly to where I needed to be. And I believe God's moving us exactly to where we need to be. So, let's stand.
Let's raise our hands. Let's worship the King who is worthy of our praise, who is allowing this pressing and this crushing to produce new wine, to produce a new work to be used for his glory.